Um, all right, 1 Peter uh, verses 1-12 says this, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, though you, now, though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls." Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that, now, that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Let's pray. Lord, we're so grateful for the opportunity you've given us this morning to uh, praise your name, to give you honor and glory through worship, to fellowship uh, with the believers, to enjoy your presence. We thank you for this word, and we ask, Lord, that it would be your word spoken and not mine. Lord, we ask, Holy Spirit, you would apply um, this message to our hearts, challenge us, encourage us, strengthen us in faith, that we might hold fast to the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Lord, we're so thankful for the faithfulness of um, your followers, your apostles who wrote letters unto the churches that we might be built up even now, 2,000 years later. Encourage us with your living and active word, sharper than a double-edged sword that it pierce between heart and soul. Lord, we yield to you this morning and ask you to have a way in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> so, we're starting 1 Peter, and the reason we jumped into 1 Peter is the connection with Mark's gospel. So, uh, we believe that Peter was influential in uh, the gospel of Mark. He was speaking with Mark in kind of the, 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 the writing of that gospel, encouraging him. We think they may have been spending time together in Rome when these messages were written. Uh, so, our understanding of Mark is that uh, that after, most likely after 1 Peter, uh, he wrote his gospel and then left Rome, and they had, you know, joint time there while they're in Rome. Um, we're going to be looking at 1 Peter as well as 2 Peter, and 1 Peter, we think, was written, like, mid-60s, sometime before Mark's gospel. 2 Peter, we think, was written late 60s AD, uh, after Mark's gospel, and just before Peter was martyred for his faith. 
So we're reading here in verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Peter is a sent one of Jesus. He is specifically sent by Jesus in in actuality, in in that that he was one of the twelve. He spent time with Jesus in Jesus' ministry and was commissioned by Jesus. Um, I will say that many of us are sent we're ap- apostles in a lowercase sense. But Peter is one who can claim, I spent time in ministry with Jesus. I was chosen by Jesus to lead his church. And I speak to you as one with authority to say these things to you. So he's saying, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. To the exiles of the dispersion. Oh, actually, I'm going to go back to Peter a little bit here. Uh, just like Paul, Peter ministered to Gentiles and Jews throughout the Mediterranean. Uh, it seems like he spent a large amount of his ministry with a base in Jerusalem, but it's clear from Scripture that we see him in Corinth as well as in Rome. Um, And he likely spent time in in, uh, the regions that 1 Peter and 2 Peter were written to, namely uh, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, which is modern-day Turkey. So if you want to place it on a map, just look at modern-day Turkey, and this is where this letter is sent to, uh, this very region. So Peter has moved around, sharing the gospel throughout wherever the Lord would lead him, and ultimately, at this point, he's landed in Rome, and this is prior to kind of the Nero persecution, so persecution hasn't ramped up quite yet in uh, Rome, but we know the end of that for for Peter was his his death there. Yeah, so that's that's Peter. That's what I want to say about Peter. Second, he goes on to say this. Um, to the elect exiles in the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, and Asia. These elect are the chosen. The elect exiles are the believers, the followers of Jesus. This is who he's writing, writing to Christians, right? So sometimes we read scripture and like, man, that sounds like it's written to a non-Christian because of all the stuff they're calling out here, like Corinth or whatever, right? But actually, all the things that Paul and Peter are calling out in the church are things that are happening in the church, so, you know, challenge your hearts with that, that, that even though we've come to faith and knowledge of Christ Jesus, we still struggle with this flesh and need the admonition and instruction of the Lord in our lives from our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. So Paul, or Peter, is addressing uh, these believers who are wrestling with some specific issues that he wants to call out in these, next, uh, in these, in these two books. Um, in terms of the dispersion, exiles, dispersion, uh, the idea here is that this world is not our home, okay? Um, the believers are scattered, just as a diaspora is scatters a people from one location of their, of their base of, of home, a diaspora moves them to another place of home. Peter is saying to those in dispersion, the believers that are dispersed, that this world is not your home. This is not your origin. This is not your place of refuge. This is not where you feel at home, because nothing on this earth can feel truly at home for you. So just as Paul says in Philippians 3, verse 20 to 21, he says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things unto himself. So Peter is writing to this group in modern-day Turkey of believers who he's encouraging that this is not your home. You may look around at your circumstances. They are difficult, but this is not what you call home. So don't hope in this world. Hope in what is true and sure and safe for you, as we'll see as he, entered, uh, as he begins his, his uh, letter this morning. 
He goes on to say this in, in uh, the remainder of his greeting, verse 2. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. So he's telling them, may grace and peace be multiplied to you, which is a cool thought, right? It's not like he's saying, may you have it, right? May you have grace and peace in an addition sense, right? If I was adding something to you, just be like, here is this, one. Rather, may grace and peace be multiplied to you, may it be ever increasing. Every single day, may you experience in a greater fashion, may it increase. Um, did I write that in here? Uh, yeah, uh, may it be countless to you uh, is some of the root of the word. May it, may it be something that you cannot even fathom the, the number of. It continues to grow within you. So he says that may your grace, may this grace and peace be multiplied to you in every experience may you grow in it. On what basis? On basis of the Trinity, right? He, sa- he calls out God the Father, Holy Spirit, and Jesus Christ to put it before you and say, this is who is multiplying grace and mercy to you. Nothing of this earth, but rather God himself, the triune God, is before you multiplying his mercy and his grace and his peace unto your hearts. Um, we think about the idea of the Trinity, which is like an accepted, uh, uh, an accepted reality of the Christian faith, but the word Trinity is never used in the Bible, which has always been a point of conversation. But it is so evident from Scripture, and especially verses like this, passages like this, that Peter and Paul and, and Jesus himself are saying to us that there are three persons, and they are manifest in different ways. God the Father in his foreknowledge of you, Holy Spirit sanctifying you, Jesus Christ obedient to the cross. They are all one. They are perfectly one. So the triune God is multiplying unto you mercy, grace, peace. We'll break those components down just a little bit to, to start out uh, here. First, according to the foreknowledge of God. This is a fun one. <laughs> My least favorite conversation in, in all of Christendom. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's, so let's get this out of the way right up front, all right? God chose you. Yes. You chose God. Yes. That doesn't make sense. Everyone agree? Can you agree with me on that? It doesn't make logical sense, okay? And so I just want to challenge your heart that I have to maybe the chagrin of many people that take a side on this conversation. I refuse to take a side on this conversation, okay? I, I count it a grace that I don't understand how God works, okay? And so just as it is incomprehensible that we serve a God that is both three and one, so too with this. Just as it's incomprehensible that Jesus could walk the earth as fully God and fully man, so too with this. Just as it's incomprehensible that Jesus could be born of a virgin, so too with this. Just as it is incomprehensible that Jesus could somehow apply his righteousness unto me through his death on the cross, so too with this truth. God has chosen you. Praise God. Guess what? you got to choose God. Praise God. I don't understand how it works. Don't pretend to. Okay? I don't understand it as much as I don't understand how prayer is effective. But the Bible says prayer does things, and I don't understand that. 
Okay, I'm just going to be obedient to the fact that the Lord says I should pray and expect that God will move. James says if you pray for wisdom and ask for it and doubt that God will give it, then you're a foolish man, right? God says prayer is a powerful thing that works, and so too is the free will decision that God has put in your hearts, and so too is the sovereign decision that God has known from the beginning of time. I do not pretend to understand who God is and what his ways are like. So, according to the foreknowledge of God, praise him. In the sanctification of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is actively working in you. So easy it is for us to say yes to the Lord Jesus and just like pretend like we don't have to change any of the rest of our life or work at it at all. Philippians 1.6 says, For I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. I am a work in progress, and so are you. There is not a day that's going to go by that I have breath on my lungs that God doesn't want to get deeper into my heart and show me just how magnificent his grace unto me is. It's easy to look at exteriors and exterior sins and sins that we see in people and go like, man, they're really struggling with something. But it's harder to look inside and know that, man, the depth of that struggle in the exterior is something deeper and deeper and deeper And God, in his glorious mercy, by the sanctification of the Holy Spirit, is here to tell you, I'm here for your whole heart. Not just what people see on the outside, but what is truly here on the inside, that you are in desperate need of a Savior that will transfer his righteousness onto you by his blood. In the sanctification of the Spirit. For obedience to Jesus Christ. Can anybody be obedient to Jesus? I've been trying for 32 years. I don't think I'm there yet. Like, I don't say that to be funny or whatever. Like, I'm not there yet. And, And none of us are. And we're fooling ourselves if we're like, man, I've got this Christian walk thing together. I know how to walk it right, and I know how to look right, and I know how to do this right. This is how we do church. Man, you you can't be more far from the truth if you're thinking of it in those terms. Because Jesus wants to call you to obedience that is every single day. This is Jesus counted counted unity with God as a human, something not to be grasped and became nothing. How? How? That is the level of obedience he's calling us to, the same level of obedience that he submitted himself to. For obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling of his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. The Trinity multiplies grace and peace to us while we are sojourners on this earth. And the God who called you from the foundation of the earth, who sustains your growth in the spirit, and who calls you to obedience in the Lord Jesus, this same God multiplies. If you will have it, if you will yield to it, If you will let him in and stir your heart from mind to heart, let this truth come from your head into your heart, it will multiply in you the depth of his mercy and grace for you. So that's the first sentence. And there's actually just two sentences in the whole passage. So verses (laughs) verses 3 to 12 
as if you, if you read it this week at community group, you're going, this is really weird. It just seems like he keeps putting parentheses versus parentheses and then parentheses and commas and all this kind of thing. The grammar on this is wrecked, okay? Like this is one sentence in the Greek, verses 3 to 12. So we'll try and like figure out what in the world Peter's trying to do with this. But this is common with Peter and Paul. They need to go to grammar class. I don't know what's going on. Um, so first, uh, yes, you know, we, we are the elect exiles in the dispersion. And, and first thing we want to pull out from this is that we are born again to a living hope, verses 3 to 5. We're born again to a living hope. Verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Blessed be God. This whole sentence hangs on this statement. Blessed be God is the, is the, is the, like the, the title of the whole verse. Blessed be God. According to his mercy, he's caused us to be born again into a living hope. We're, we're beget again. We're, we're started over. We were, we were living a life, and now we're living a whole different life. Our desires have gone from one thing to a completely opposite thing. We've turned around. Maybe we've repented and believed, right? We've, we've turned from something and become something else. We have been born again to a living hope. And this living hope comes from one thing, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Paul says, if Jesus Christ hadn't been raised, then we're all here in vain. We, we're to be pitied above all men. Our hope in life, this living hope that, that the Lord has given us, is based on the fact that Christ died, was buried, and rose again. It's given us a living hope. Verse 4, Peter goes on to describe this hope. It's an inheritance. And this inheritance that he's given us, it's imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and kept for you in heaven. It will not rust away. It will not turn to dust. It is imperishable. It is going to stay. It is perfectly holy. It doesn't fade in its glory, right? Like that you know, new phone that you get or new car, whatever you get, like anything you get in this world, you're like, man, the first day you got it, like, oh my gosh, it's so amazing, this is going to change my life, right? And literally like two weeks later, we're like, I need the new one, you know, like, my wheels are not shiny anymore, you know? I was so frustrated because I went and got new tires uh, a couple weeks ago, and I was like, yeah, new tires, I needed them, they were bald, they were real bald, yeah, I did. Uh, they were real bald, okay? They was like rough, okay? Like, yeah, yeah, Chris, they were this, they were this bald, bro. This is, this is, this is how, this bald, they were, they were Chris bald. <laughs> they were that bald, man, I'm telling you. Bald tires. He loves, I love bald, you look great. Anyway, um, they were bald. So I got them, and, and whatever, things got in late, got there to pick up the car, and they're like, we're sorry we didn't wash your car. We usually wash your car and your tires for this, and I was like, <sighs> Dang, you shouldn't have told me that you usually do that because now I'm upset that you didn't wash my tires. You know what I mean? Uh, anyway, we, we hope in a lot, of, in a lot of perishable things. But this salvation that God has given us through Christ is one that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for us. Who is he speaking to? Those who, verse 5, by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed to them in the last time. There's that confounding 
conversation. I am guarded by God's power through this thing we conceive of as faith, which, yeah, is a hope for that which I cannot see. I mean, you can say these words, but they don't, like, you can't understand them, right? I hope for that which I can't see. Yeah, that's what's in my heart, right? God has put that in my heart, this faith. By God's power, we are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed to us in the last time. In his power through faith, we're born again to a secure and living hope. God just like pouring out himself on us and we're just wooed in our heart and our soul to know him more and then he pours out more power on us and we're wooed again to know him more and it's just this, it's kind of like a relationship that's happening. Like God cares for you as a person rather than as a robot, right? It's like he wants you to know him in a real sense. He wants you to look back at your life and go, oh, you've been there the whole time. I got it, right? He wants you to know him. And by his power and through faith, he makes that happen. So we're born again into a living hope. Second, we walk in a genuineness of faith, verses six to nine. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. In this sense, uh, Peter's again writing to Turkey, and I know in, while we were talking about the Gospel of Mark, we were talking about Mark writing back to Rome, okay, and that they were facing persecution from the state of Rome, right, like from the Roman Empire for their faith in Jesus, right? Nero was putting forth persecution at that time. Um, in, in this situation, as far as it is at this point, in, in Peter's letter over to Turkey, or the region of Turkey, um, this is more like what we're used to in America and in just like modern world times, right? Oh, silly Christian. <laughs> shame, you know, whatever. This isn't, this isn't state persecution. Okay? This isn't uh, that kind of persecution, but this is trials. This is the culture looking down on Christians going like, they don't make any sense. This is, this is crazy. And then shame from that, maybe from a family standpoint uh, or from in the, within their cities or whatever. But it wasn't like state-sponsored persecution in the way that we were talking about it with, uh, with Rome and Mark's letter back to Rome. Uh, so when Peter's talking about this, a, what, I guess a little less or whatever you want to say it is. Um, but in this you rejoice, though now for a little while you've been grieved by various trials. So that this, that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus. So the, the purpose of this testing Okay, the Lord, in his wisdom, has allowed this to happen, right? He's allowed brokenness to enter the world. The world has been broken by us, and the Lord is letting that linger to, to, his, uh, to his comprehension of length of time, right? And so, under the Lord's sovereign will, this testing and this trialing is happening. And so, Peter is saying to them, though now you are tested with the genuineness of your faith, that you may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus. 
it can be very easy for these believers to look around at, you know, their families not liking them, their, their culture not liking them, their stances on morality being, you know, looked down upon or whatever it is, and go, kind of losing heart right now, because I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm a small percentage, I'm a minority here within a group of people that says, what I believe is silly. Anybody familiar with that, right? We know that. This is what they're struggling with. And so it can be very easy for us in the midst of that to doubt and go, am I crazy? Is it, is, am I crazy about this? Is, this? is this, am I made something up? And Peter's going, no, you haven't. These circumstances that are coming into your life that are hard, God knows. He actually knows them really, really well. He's been through them himself. And so, yes, though now for a little while you're grieved by various trials, this has a purpose, that, the, that your faith will be tested in its genuineness, just as gold is tested by a fire. Peter actually, uh, I think, is amazed at, at what, the church, what is happening with the church, right? Because Peter walked with Jesus. He <laughs> walked hand in hand with Jesus. He was ready to fight for Jesus, you know, to overthrow Rome in a physical sense. Like, he was walking side by side with him. And now he looks at the church, right? Like, think about 30 years of ministry from walking with Jesus and reflecting on what God has done in the body of Christ around the Mediterranean going, this is crazy. Like, this thing has exploded like wildfire so much that I'm sending a letter so that it could be carried by hand by someone. They're going to get on a boat, okay, from Rome. They're going to take a letter to the region of Turkey, and they're going to walk around the whole region and share this information with all of the bodies of believers that are manifest throughout this time, right? Could you imagine Peter's like, what is hap- What are we doing? This is so much bigger than me, right? I just feel that when he says this in verse 8, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Peter was there when Jesus was on trial, Right? Peter was there when the Lord was hung on a cross. Peter was there for that in the physical sense. He saw the Lord after he was raised from the dead. And he's looking at these people that all they know is that people have left from Jerusalem to tell them about the Lord Jesus Christ. They didn't even know that a Messiah was coming. And now they found out that through the people of Israel, a Messiah has come and is there to save us from our sins. Peter is amazed, truly, by what is happening. He says, You haven't seen him, and you love him. You don't even see him now, and and you believe in him. And so we can um, be encouraged in the same way, just as this group was encouraged by Peter's words, that the Lord sees us. He, He knows where we're at. Even though we don't see him, even though we haven't seen him, we love him and know him because the faithfulness of the body of Christ for two thousand years has gone through ebbs and flows and strengths and weaknesses and all this stuff that you oh christian would hear the gospel through some faithful servant at some time and go i need that and i want that and i have no other hope but in that for me that faithful servant was a man named bill roycroft who would travel from canada to mexico doing some ministry from, you know, 
from his kind of home base in Lethbridge down there, and he'd stop in Oklahoma and minister to a bunch of Jesus freak revolution people, right, in, in Stillwater, Oklahoma. Those are my parents, right? And, like, through that ministry, I came to faith. That's when I placed my faith in Christ Jesus, was through a family camp that Bill Roycroft from Canada, on his way to Mexico, was holding in Oklahoma. That's the faithful servant in my life. Faithful servant in my life was, was Paul Weiss, who felt the call to youth ministry and, and maintained that call and, and discipled me throughout my time in high school and beyond. Right? This is the body of Christ. Like how beautiful thing that though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him. Why? Because his hands and his feet are active and living, walking through this earth, and the power cannot be denied. Because it's not human power. It's God's power working through human faith. Mind blown. God has given us the joy of salvation to withstand every trial. So whether your hope um, truly is an eternal salvation given to you by God or not is seen in how you endure under the trials you're faced with in life. God is going to allow stuff to come. He allows it on the righteous and the unrighteous is what he describes it in the Gospels, right? Were those who the Tower of Siloam fell on, were they more righteous or were they more sinner than the others? No, they weren't. But you should repent and believe. And so yes, when life happens, you know that your hope has never been in this life. Your hope has never been in a success on this life, right? It's never been in how much wealth you produce. It's never been in how amazing your children are and they go out in, right? It's never been about that. It's not, never been about uh, what kind of fulfillment you find in your spouse. It's never been about those things. It's been about the fact that Christ has died for you. And he has called you to live a life of sacrifice and obedience unto the Lord. In his foreknowledge, he said, I, this one is mine. In his sanctification of the Spirit, he says, I'm going to help this one. In obedience to Jesus Christ, we respond. He's given us a joy of salvation that we might withstand every single trial. And finally, this news is good. This is good news. Probably see where I'm going with this. Just warning you. 1 Peter 1.10 Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. Inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. I'd like double take when I was reading that this week and trying to think through that, okay? So, Peter says, there are prophets hundreds of years before Jesus who are prophesying. They are receiving a word from the Lord and they are saying it, right? And their prophecy is about grace that these believers have received even though they've never seen the Lord Jesus. And that these believers hope in even though they don't, they don't see him now. These prophets were prophesying about that very thing. And who was it that was telling these prophets what to prophesy, according to Peter? The Spirit of Christ. 
Jesus, hundreds of years before he manifests in the flesh, is speaking to prophets and telling them about what he is going to come and suffer through. <laughs> Dude, I can't understand God. They were inquiring at what time or with what person the Spirit of Christ was going was to come. And the Spirit of Christ tells them, this is who's coming, and it's me. It's really, it's really cool. <laughs> it's very cool. At first, uh, verse 12, he goes on to say, It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. And the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. The good news is this, that the things the prophet said have been fulfilled. <laughs> Sound familiar? <laughs> yeah, weird. Wonder where from? Yeah. The time has been fulfilled. The kingdom of God is here. Repent and believe. This is the good news. This is the good news of Jesus. And these prophets, hundreds of years before Christ, were saying, this is what's going to happen. I'm telling you, prophet, I am coming, and I'm going to die on a cross. This is good news. Jesus has made manifest to us a mystery into which angels long to look at and prophets could not understand. It was a grace to the prophets that the Lord, in his mercy, said to them, hey, this is for somebody else, so don't worry about its fulfillment right now. They were told, it says, they were told that they were not serving themselves, but someone in the future by saying this. What an amazing thing that God would come and speak to a group of people and go, hey, this isn't for you. This is for the future. Like, you don't even know how far in the future, but hundreds of years. It's kind of like God making a promise to Abraham, I've got a land for you, right? You're not going to ever live in that land. Hey, I'm going to make nations out of you. You only have like two sons, one illegitimate and one real. Like, this is the kind of God that we serve. He's working a million times more complicated than we can think. Infinite times more complicated. Multiplied beyond comprehension, right? And just to bolster my opinion that we cannot understand this, the angels long to look at the truth of this salvation. Angels. Spiritual entities that have never come down in, in flesh, right? They're looking at what you have in the call to faith from the sovereign Lord and saying, we can't understand it. Why, oh man, do you toil to try to understand how this all works? Just hear the good news. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is here. Repent and believe in the good news of Jesus Christ. So three takeaways for you from this passage about our salvation, because this text is just Peter reflecting on salvation. First is this. Our salvation 
is sure. Our salvation is sure. Okay? If you ever thought that your salvation was based on anything you could do, <laughs> you're not there yet. <laughs> you're not there yet. Man, I, I still struggle with it. If, if you think that you've come to choose the Christian faith because it makes the most logical sense in your brain, then I'm challenging you right now, you might not know it. Because this salvation is not about what we can comprehend in our head. It's about what God has done in our heart. And you're not going to be able to scientifically prove this out. I'm, listen, I am grateful for all the apologetics work in life. There have been many a minister that has gone about doing great apologetics about why this is a, 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 a true or a, a, a system of belief that makes some sense, okay? But far be it from me to trust in the fact that a man said it made sense rather than the Spirit of God has applied it to my heart and said, this salvation is sure because my son Christ Jesus died on a cross for you. Your salvation is sure, not by anything you've accomplished in your life or are accomplishing in your life or will accomplish in your life, but on the merit of Christ Jesus. Your salvation is sure. Our salvation, second, is tested. We cannot... We cannot assume um, that because we've trusted Jesus, that life is going to be easy. It's not an, even an assumption that Jesus himself lived with. He came down and walked on this earth like we walk, with temptations like we are tempted with, and bore the cross on our behalf felt God turn away from him, turn his face from him. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Our salvation is tested. So do not be surprised when, you know, uh, marriage is hard, when parenting is hard, when finances are hard, when jobs are hard. When people make fun of you because of your beliefs. When, when you can't comprehend how God is working. Do, do not be surprised by this. Testing is a reality of life. And the difference for us as believers is that our hope is not in the resolution of our testing itself. Our hope is on a cross. It is finished there. Our hope is an eternal hope. It is, as he said earlier, it is imperishable, it is undefiled, it is unfading, it is kept in heaven for you. And God, through his power and through faith, is ready to reveal this to you in the last time. You will have various trials, and these trials are given to test the genuineness of of your faith, that it may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor of the revelation of Jesus Christ. If you're going to be like the Lord Jesus, then you're going to walk through tests. 
and the, the, uh, the passing of the test, man, it, it might not come in something you can measure on earth. It comes in something God has done inside your heart. Because, you know, Peter is writing this message. About five years from him writing this message, he's killed for his faith. Earlier than he should have been killed. Earlier than he should have died, right? His, his life was cut short because of his faith in Christ Jesus. And so far be it from us to say, well, man, I've, I've trusted in Jesus and everything's worked out just fine. No. Allow the tests of life to not just be tests on, on the... Uh, on the periphery or on the outside, but allow the Lord Jesus to apply every test and trial unto your heart. Because what you're experiencing and what you're walking through in your family or marriage or, or your job or whatever it is, okay, God wants to teach you something in that. He's here speaking to you, trying to tell you something, trying to grow you, trying to challenge you to know this truth that your salvation is tested. And its assurance is not in your outcomes, but rather in what he has done for you. Finally, this salvation, our salvation, is glorious. Um, I didn't think about this beforehand, but it just reminds me of the, the S.M. Lockridge sermon. I try to explain it to you. I can't explain it to you. You know, this is a, you need to look up the sermon. But anyway, you know what I'm talking about, right? Anybody know what I'm talking about? S.M. Lockridge? No? Anybody know S.M. Lockridge? Sermon? <laughs> Your pastor apologizes that he hasn't shared this with you before. And I'm not going to try and even duplicate it today. But um, anyway, that's my king. You need to look up. That's my king by Lockridge. That's my king. Okay. Anyway, you need, you need to look that up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You need to look that up. You ever seen that one? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, good, 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 good. That's my king. Yeah, that's right. So you need to look up that. That's it. It's glorious. Like, we are going to spend, and I've said this before, we're going to spend, man, I hope, the rest of your Sundays, and even more, right, gathering with the body of Christ, and singing songs of praise to him, and proclaiming his word unto one another, and praying for each other, setting aside this time, and guess what? It's not even close to enough of what our Lord deserves for what he has done for us. And we're going to spend eternity in his presence, giving glory and honor to him, and he will be worthy of all of it for every day that we understand and exist. And I can't understand that. Even if I come up here and give my best, feel most prepared, give all that I have, it's not enough. And I don't say that out of like shame or like looking down on what I've prepared or what Marcus prepares or whatever, but like, man, our best, it's not enough for the Lord. And I want to give him even more than I've got. I don't count it as a discouragement. I count it as a longing to give him more than what I've able to give him. And so I pray the same will be for you as you walk through this week, that you look at this week and go, man, my salvation is glorious. There's nothing in this world that can satisfy me like the fact that my God and creator in heaven loves me so much that he sent his son to die for me. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna live that out in every day of my life. 
And so I challenge you just to rest in the fact that the salvation the Lord has given you is glorious. And, and we should just give our whole lives to it. The Lord doesn't ask for part of us. He asks for the whole. And so man, yield to it. Yield it all to the Lord. It is worth it, every bit of it. And he is worthy of it. Let's pray. Lord, we're so thankful for your word. We're so thankful for um, your apostles and how they saw fit to encourage the body of Christ. And, and Lord, we're so thankful that even now, these words are living and active, sharper than two-edged sword, and they pierce our hearts and challenge us. And so, God, we thank you for that. We pray that um, we would have eyes to see what you're doing in the world, that we'd see your kingdom is here, that you're trying to tell us what it's like, and, Lord, that we would live it out, not, not that not that we would receive anything, uh, that we not, would not expect to even to receive anything, but that we would just expect your kingdom to come. And Lord, give us a, a heart that, that is not worried about whether that kingdom manifests in our lifetime or not. But we would love it to see people drawn into your kingdom. We love people to come and see your kingdom come in their lives. We love droves and droves to come to revival before you, God. But we are not going to seek revival for the sake of revival. We're going to seek your kingdom that it would come in its time. Whether we get to see it or not, God, we want to be faithful as you were faithful. So God, help us to know the assurance of our salvation is a gift from God. And it's applied to us by the Holy Spirit through the, whole, uh, through the obedience of Christ the Son. And Lord, help our hearts not fret when we're tested and tried, but rather help us press in even harder, knowing that you will come through believing that you will come through, trusting that you are after our hearts and teaching us in every single moment. And finally, God, may we have joy. May we rejoice at the blessedness of our God. May we praise him for his glory and glory and glory. All of your characteristics, Lord, are glorious. You're holy and mighty, all-powerful, all-knowing, unchanging, loving, patient, kind. You're glorious, Lord. And the salvation you have given us is glorious too. And so God, may our hope, our desire, our lives be bowed unto that, unto service of the glorious King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.